Hello and welcome to The Food Podcast, the show where personal stories are shared through the lens of food and today through the lens of writing and sharing recipes with cookbook author Amy Minicello. I'm Lindsay Cameron Wilson. We're going to pick up where we left off with the last episode. Go back and have a listen if you haven't already. Season 3, Episode 7 with Jill Barber. And when you're ready, we'll pick up at the end of that episode where Jill tells us the dream for Homemaker, her latest, most intimate album. In the earlier part of my career, it was about wanting to reach the greatest number of people. And now it's um, wanting to reach whomever in the most meaningful ways. Like I kind of, instead of going big, I kind of want to go deep with people and it's not, it's not going to be for everyone. And that's, that's okay. Uh, I, my only real, um, my only real marketing idea for this album was that friends would share it with friends. I kind of had this belief that like, if it touched somebody, then they might, they might say like, Hey, this, I heard, or I saw myself in this and, um, and I feel like there are other people out there that might, it might resonate with too. It's kind of like, uh, kind of like recipes, you know? Yeah. If something works and, um, and, and you love it, um, it's not, you, you might not like advertise it to the, like everyone has to try this recipe, but you might share it with a friend. And I kind of had this hope that, um, yeah, that this, this music would get, would find its way around, um, through, um, through sharing, because it's something that people want to share with, with their community, with their friends. Yeah. Okay. Let's put a pin in that. And in the meantime, Meet Amy Minicello. She's an Australian wedding cake maker, private cook, food blogger, wife, and mother of two little children, Bo and Vivi, and author of a new cookbook, Recipes in the Mail. Amy's book came about when, in 2018, she made a request on Instagram, inviting people to share their favorite family recipes with her through the mail. Who writes letters anymore? There's not that many people that, you know, it's all done with a um, text message or an email, you know, instant like that. Um, And I guess it was sort of a bit of that um, in wanting to receive things in the mail that weren't bills um, and, you know, things that brought joy um, and also just forming that connection with people. Like I love that connection that's especially formed, um, you know, when it comes to food um, and sharing food and sharing recipes. Um, So that was sort of the main reason behind it. I didn't even think of doing a book back then. I Seriously, all I was going to do, I was just going to collect the recipes that were sent, um, obviously make them because I, you know, wanted to see what they were like, um, and then probably just photocopy them and 
take them down to office works or get them bound or something like that and send them back out to all the people that contributed. And then it wasn't until I started sharing, um, so once I'd cooked and baked the recipes and then I styled and photographed it and then wrote a story um, to go with it on Instagram, um, not sharing the recipe back then but just the story that went with it, I started receiving all these beautiful comments that, you know, people that I didn't even know that were sharing these really special memories that they had of similar recipes that they would make, you know, with their with their mothers or with their grandmothers Um And just the comments that followed after that, I was just like, oh, my gosh, like this is really, really special. Um, And then, even then, I still didn't think about a book and it wasn't until people started saying to me, I think you need to do something with this. I think you need to write a book. And I was like, oh, do I need to write a book? I don't know. Where do I even start? (laughs) Um huge deal so then that's sort of what you know started that ball rolling um and I got this idea in my head I was like oh maybe if people are asking for this you know maybe there's more people out there that would like to read these stories and cook these recipes um so yeah then the long long road to finding a publisher began Amy lives in Rye, a seaside community on the Mornington Peninsula in Melbourne, Australia. We met through Instagram. Her joy bursts through her images of cakes and family and flowers. We've been supporting each other's work for a long time. Amy is infectious. And not surprising, many people support Amy and her work. I had a few people... Um, behind me who were very, very supportive Um, and Belinda Jeffrey, um, who's become um, a very lovely friend and a bit of a mentor, Um, she, she gave me the confidence to like go forward um, and and really think that there was something in this. Um, And she actually put me in contact with um, her publisher, Julie Gibbs. So I was lucky enough to speak with Julie and she was just lovely and I am forever grateful for the time that she gave me because she gave me that boost of confidence that I needed at that time. And then she ended up putting me in touch with um, the publisher who published my book. In the end, I have a copy of recipes in the mail. There are roses on the cover, pinks and yellows and oranges and lush green leaves, and the font for the title is a traditional cursive. Inside the book is a pocket for recipe cards to make notes, and each recipe includes an origin story. Amy inscribed the book for me in her flowing cursive with a few printed letters mixed in a sign of a woman wedged between errors of cursive and printed lettering. It's a hybrid style of someone who still takes comfort in pen on paper. It's fluid and smooth. She writes that she hopes that these recipes and stories will transport me and nurture my family. And she signs it with a cursive A-M-Y. I wanted people to pick it up and for them to feel that warmth and that love that had been poured into every single one of those pages. Um, 
So I'm hoping that's what it's done. I, I've got a lot of feedback from people who have said that that's what they feel when they pick it up. So if I was able to make one person feel that, I'm happy. Jill Barber has a song on her album called My Mother's Hand. She wrote the song when she remembered she had forgotten her mother's birthday and forgot to send a card. It's also a song about handwriting, how Jill feels she's lost that art and she doesn't send cards anymore, but how she could recognize her mother's hand anywhere. My mother used to write notes in my lunchbox, always on a white paper napkin, wishing me a happy day, sometimes with a drawing of a smiling sun. It felt like a secret, these little notes. Her handwriting is beautiful, scrolly cursive, like so many women of her generation. Her black, hard-covered recipe book is a record of her writing, small and tidy in the 1970s, larger and bolder in the 80s, Then it settles down somewhere in the 90s and onwards. It was similar to her mother's and her sister Susan's, except Susan's is a little softer with just hints of the same pressure on the pen and the same hand mechanics and the same aesthetic. Susan's twin sister Sandra's handwriting is totally different. Sandra writes in a strong, looping cursive that charges across the page. She says writing on paper is like drawing. Her words are loopy shapes that look like bold doodles with hidden messages. It's so free. I know the handwriting of these women because of the recipes they have written down and shared with me and the cards they have sent over the years. Susan has bound her recipes in a book for all of us. Each recipe is carefully printed by hand with a watercolor illustration of the recipe as well. Sandra also has a hardcover book where she keeps her recipes. They are often coded like a rebus with illustrations of ingredients popping up with the written ingredients. Sandra has sent me illustrated recipes over the years. I keep them tucked into my messy binders on the kitchen shelf. They're written on scraps of thick cardstock with their edges cut with pinking shears. Lemon milk cake is written in caps across the top with a drawing of a lemon in the place of the word... There is a drawing of a zester on the side with tiny dots of yellow zest flecked around it. I see it when I pull out the binder, a zap of yellow within the black and the white. These days, I save recipes in apps, or I print them off the internet and shove the pages between the cookbooks on my kitchen shelf. I also take photos of recipes from cookbooks, and the images sit in my phone, pale squares of text on white, among the other 13,300 photos. I forget about them. I wish I could write a song about the recipes I want to remember. 
I wonder how people will be remembered when no one writes recipes down anymore, when we don't share them in print, when we don't know a person through their penmanship, or what will happen when we no longer know how to put pen to paper. When Amy and I spoke, it was morning for me and bedtime for her. It was dark behind her windows, and the city was just waking up outside of mine. Early winter and early summer. I dreamt the night before that I was waiting at the train station for Amy, that I had decided an online conversation wasn't enough for us, so instead, she took the train so we could have a coffee date. And then I woke up. And I made coffee. And I brought it to the desk in front of the computer and I took a sip and asked Amy about her day. It was actually really lovely. I had the day by myself. (laughs) I wrote this morning. I woke up and I made my breakfast and I sat at the kitchen table and I wrote. This is my writing pad. I love it. (laughs) No, it's seriously, I just write whenever I can. Like I think I've written in some of my posts that I write in the car. If Ben's driving the car, I'll write in the car. Um, Normally, though, it's like like at this time, you know, late at night when I usually, um, yeah, when I usually write. Um, But, yeah, this morning I actually wrote, in the morning and I have not done that for a long time (laughs) so it was a really lovely way to start the day. Amy writes everything out longhand first even her Instagram posts. There's a blending of old and new always at play in her work pen on paper baking sharing online posting on Instagram engaging in community online engaging in community in person testing handwritten recipes that came in the mail, posting about them online, and then posting cookbooks in the mail. I asked her if she was always nostalgic about the past. Had she always cooked and poured over old family recipes? She laughed and said that she had baked with her grandmother when she was little, but when she left home at 23, she didn't know how to boil an egg. She had worked in hospitality, but was always the barista. But I didn't stand by my mum's side in the kitchen because she can't stand a mess. Um, so she wasn't, she wasn't going to let, let us, um, you know, make a mess in the kitchen. Um, and I guess I just wasn't really that interested in, like I was interested, like I was interested in eating the food, but I wasn't interested in preparing it or cooking it. Um, until I had to learn to be able to, put food on the table for dinner. Um, So I had actually moved over to Western Australia um, with my now husband um, to Margaret River. And, I mean, that's just like foodie paradise over there, the food, the wine, um, you know, the fresh produce, all of that. So 
uh, and MasterChef had just premiered um, over here in Australia and I was just reeled in hook, line and sinker um, and I just hung off every single word um, and just started reading um, magazines and I had um, two of the big, thick um, Australian Women's Weekly cookbooks um, that I took around Australia with us when we eventually left Margaret River and we travelled around um, and I would just, they, they were my Bibles, I would just choose recipes out of there and I would follow them to an absolute T. Like I did not diverge from that recipe. If I didn't have something, I'm like, I can't make this now. I don't know what to do. (laughs) When I worked at Books for Cooks in London, there was a spinning wire book stand that held mini Australian women's weekly books exclusively, a whole section just for them. Australians would squeal when they walked into the shop and saw the collection either because they needed a recipe or just a taste of home. One woman called one afternoon and said, look, I'm in London and I really need a coconut slice recipe from your Australian Women's Weekly Baking Book. I know you're not a library, but can you please just tell me the ingredients? I don't have a copy with me. I had never heard of a coconut slice, but I found it and read her the recipe over the phone. How could I not? I should also say that this was pre-Google. I was Google. But then eventually, you know, I started, you know, getting more confident and, um, you know, I, I was putting my own little spins on things and, yeah, just becoming more experimental, I guess. But actually my husband, Ben, he taught me a thing or two in the kitchen as well. Um, he's actually a good cook, although he doesn't get much of a chance anymore because I'm always in the kitchen. <laughs> it's my office. It is my, cre- my creative space. Um, so yeah. And then it wasn't until we got, um, back home and I started working in a cafe, um, just down the road and they let me into the kitchen to prepare, um, you know, especially baking, like the, the, um, the baked goods and things like that. Um, just simple things, but I, I kind of like started doing that and I thought, oh, I'd really like to have my own cafe one day. And then that's sort of what, you know, planted that seed. And I was like, you know, I really want to do this now. So that's how the cafe happened. And we had that for four years. And that's when I really got into um, the whole cooking side. Like I was in the kitchen. I, we made everything from scratch. Um, and that taught me so much. And then that's how the wedding cake started. Um, and then I fell pregnant with Bo and I thought, I don't want to have a cafe and a newborn baby at the same time. And by that stage, I was just, I was pretty much burnt out. Um, and we decided to sell, and then I realized, well, I can just do the cakes at home um, and I can take on as much or as little as I want to. I'm still getting that creative um, energy out, which is really important to me. I need to have that time in there. Like today, like I feel so much better after having that, you know, uninterrupted time um, to just bake. And I wasn't baking for any reason as such I just had a couple of recipes that I wanted to test out and um you know I was standing at my kitchen bed and jotting down little ideas and going oh maybe I can do this and I was just like this is what brings me joy like I just 
love it. Um, so yeah, I'm a better person when I've been in the kitchen. (laughs) When your work revolves around making food on a freelance basis and you're a parent, the kitchen is the workhorse of the home. I live this. Amy lives this. So everything happens. Everything happens in our little humble weatherboard house. It does. It is a it is a hive of activity. It's it may be small, but it, I tell you what, <laughs> there's a lot of things going on. <laughs> and still, Amy wants to capture all that's going on and write about the flavors and record them, and record other people's recipes too. She's a memory maker and an archivist and a mother and a cook. It's a lot to take on. Well, I've, and I feel like these stories are so important to keep alive. Um, you know, you hear so often of, um, families having these recipes, but no one's written them down. Um, and also that's also because, you know, a lot of those sorts of recipes are, you know, done by sight and by feel and by touch. And, you know, it's like a handful of this or a sprinkle of this. So there's not actually like measurements to, to, to actually record that is really difficult, but, um, yeah, no, I just feel that it's, it is really important to keep those, especially the stories that go with them alive and to have them passed down, um, you know, to the younger generations and then they start making them or, you know, even just talking about them and keeping that person that you learnt that recipe from alive, even though they may not be with us in person they're still with you when you're talking about you know that food that you shared with them amy's book recipes in the mail includes submitted recipes like nona's italian biscotti a south african milk tart a lemony chicken soup from greece and cornish pasties from england they're the flavors that make up australia and there are thick fluffy scones in there too baked with flower fairies and a touch of sugar There's a picture in the book of Amy taken by the photographer and writer Sally Frawley, whom she met on Instagram. Amy is putting tall scones in the oven, already fluffy before they've even been baked. I think of my great-grandmother when I'm making her scones um, and, you know, the flower fairies that drift in the air. Um, and now I bake those with, um, with my kids and, you know, it's just all those really special memories that are created around around food. I had never heard the term flower fairies before. The magical poofs of white that float through the air when flour is sifted. Sugar fairies would be even better. Amy is in the business of creating beauty. Her words and her images and her joyful stories of baking with her kids. She is a delight. But everything does happen in the kitchen. We've established that in the previous episode, the good, the bad, the crushed Cheerios, the meltdowns, the tears, the flavors, all of it. There's always another story behind the lens. On April 5th, 2023, Amy posted on Instagram a bird's eye view, also known as a flat lay in the business, of hot cross buns being packaged up as gifts. Their gentle pink rose petals danced across the scene and little parcels of buns wrapped in parchment and string and fastened with a rose. The comment below goes on to tell her story of that morning, what went on behind the lens. 
The buns, the roses, the timber surface, the knife. Objects which when you look at can see clearly. However, it is what was going on behind the scenes during these captured moments that no one but myself saw and felt. Behind the lens was a woman, a wife, a mother, who only hours beforehand had come crushing down. Her body weighted down by the overwhelming feelings that had been brewing on the inside, followed by tears that raged and rose like the ocean on a stormy day. She couldn't catch her breath, nor could she pick herself up from the hard timber floor. Yeah, that was that was actually really difficult for me to do. I I had written it out because I always write longhand first. Um, and I thought, oh, I feel like I need to share this. I feel like it's going to not only help me, but I hope that it helps someone else. Um, and I think I just, well, obviously just hit a really low point. Like it would, there was just, I felt like there was challenge after challenge and, you know, like life can go up and then it can go down and can go up and it's like a roller coaster ride. Um, you know, no two days are the same. Um, especially with kids, like, you know, you wake up in the morning and you think, Oh, what's today going to (laughs) bring, you know, how are they going to wake up? Um, what mood are they going to be in? What mood am I going to be in? Um, so, you know, it's all of that. And then also I think, I had been doing a lot of late nights leading up to the book um, and getting, you know, all the online shop sorted and all that sort of things. Like technology things are just not my that my that side of my brain doesn't work. <laughs> um, and yeah, it, it was just this one morning. It was like you know the layer, 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 layer on top of each other, and then all of a sudden you can feel that rage coming to the surface and it's like a volcano erupting and that's exactly what happened um it was just this one little thing I think Bo wasn't getting dressed for school like you know and it's all that rush 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 like a school morning you've got to be out of the house on time um and there's no room for error like as soon as one little thing is out of place it's just like oh well now we're going to be late And then it's like, okay, come on, we've got to hurry up. And it was all like this, I could feel it bubbling to the surface and and then I just exploded. Remember my friend Sally's wisdom from the last episode, where she was told by a therapist that what makes her a great physician can make her home life hard? I think the same goes for being a beautiful baker and writing a book. There's precision involved and a recipe to follow and an exactness that can't always be followed in the throes of getting out the door with children. I've only ever had two panic attacks um, that I can remember. Um, one was when Bo was only like, oh, he probably would have been less than one year old. Um, and then the second time was, yes, this um, yeah, 5th of April. Um, and... I just lost all control, just, you know, um, couldn't breathe properly. I felt like someone was standing on my chest um, and just this uncontrollable feeling of just, em- just emotions but 
seeing Bo and Vivi standing, I can even, I, I can see them now, standing at the glass doors um, to go outside with their backs pressed up against it. And I was down on the ground. I'd just thrown down the vacuum cleaner in that fit of rage and everything that was in the vacuum had spilled out onto the floor. And that was the tipping point. I was just like, that's when the breathing, I couldn't control my breathing and, um, yeah, just, just lost all control. Like I can't, I, I can't even remember how long it would have lasted for. It didn't actually last that long because I knew that we had, we always try and leave home at 8.30 and we, we must have still had a bit of time before that. Um, but I remember I couldn't actually pick myself off the floor. Um, and they, and, and Bo and Vivi ended up going into their bedroom and eventually got dressed. And I just stayed on the floor. I couldn't actually pick myself up. I was just, I felt numb. That's what I felt. I felt numb. And yeah, even thinking back to it now, like I can remember it clearly, but it all feels like a bit of a blur at the same time. Um, I'm trying not to get too emotional. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and then I just had to sit there and I eventually got my breath back. And I think also because I remember from last time, because last time, the first time that it happened, I got such a fright because I didn't know what was happening. Um, But this time I knew. So I knew that I just had to get my breath back. And I remember saying to Bo, you need to get my phone. I need my phone. Um, And I think they were just so sort of like, oh, what's happening to mummy? Like we haven't seen this before. I don't know what, I don't know what to do. Um, they were obviously scared, like, you know, they're only little. They didn't know what was going on. Um, and so he he didn't get my phone and then I knew then. I'm like, no, well, I have to, I have to, like, get myself out of this. Like, I've got no other choice. Um, yeah, so then I just slowed my breathing down and eventually picked myself up and I just went into them into, I think they were, they were I think they must have been in the bathroom and I went in and I didn't say anything to them. I just knelt down and I just gave them both a huge hug and I didn't say anything to them because I didn't know what to say and I thought if I say something now I'm just going to burst into tears again. Um, yeah, and I just I just gave them a huge hug and it was almost like I didn't have to say anything because if I did... It wouldn't have been right. Whatever I would have said wouldn't have been right. So she got the kids dressed, got them into the car, put on sunglasses, dropped them off at school, had a good cry with her mom, and met with two friends who listened. And I just realized then, I'm like... When you open up a conversation, you know, these hard conversations, it just goes to show that so many other people are in exactly the same boat and are feeling the same things. And, you know, it's very easy to think that, 
especially through, you know, the squares on Instagram that people have it all together. Like, because it, it's a highlight reel. Um, you know, it's very easy to just think, oh, well, you know, they're doing it all okay and they don't have any, it doesn't look like they've got any problems and what have you, but it's not until you actually start talking and open that conversation up that you realise that, oh, wow, like there are so many other people who obviously want to talk about this too but haven't been able to or just don't feel that they can. They might be judged. Um, And I think that's what pushed me after speaking to those three women. I thought, no, I need to... I need to put this out there um, and, uh, yeah, open up that conversation and, 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 you know, let people know that it's okay to talk about those sorts of things and it's absolutely normal. Um, You know, I, I feel like every mother or every parent would go through, you know, something like that in their parenting journey. There are 141 comments on that post, all sharing words of support, of solidarity, of understanding. I have a hardcover book that my mom gave me when I was 21, where I've written down recipes over the years from friends and from their mothers and from women I used to babysit for and old boyfriends' mothers and my mother-in-law and from restaurants and from family recipes. My handwriting is very tidy in the beginning. I could see that I didn't want to mess up a fresh book. But by the end, it's filled with desperate chicken scratches. I remember calling my mom and asking for a recipe while Toddler Charlie, or maybe it was Luke, sat on the counter in a diaper, pinned there with my body, drawing in the book with a sharpie while I scribbled down my mother's chocolate sauce recipe. There is a pocket for recipe cards inside the cover of Amy's cookbook. I plan to use them not only to write down recipes, but to also record what's going on that day, the trials and the tribulations and what it took to make that recipe. My mom wrote down the recipe for chocolate sauce when we were living in the southern United States, and she was at home with three little girls far away from her family. What was happening in her life that day? These are also the stories that I want to know, the stories I hope can somehow be shared and documented moving forward. And this brings us back to the beginning with Jill Barber. I read Amy's post in April probably while sipping coffee on an early spring morning here in Halifax. Jill's new album, Homemaker, had already been out for a month at that point, and the title track of the album was on heavy rotation. I sent that song to Amy. I thought she might need it, especially this part. It's okay 
just goes to show you, like, even on the opposite side of the world, on the exact same day, someone else is having those exact same um, experiences. So share your recipes and your day and your experiences and your favorite songs with people. Who knows who might need them? Thank you, Amy, for your beautiful book and your joy and your honesty and willingness to stay up late in Australia so we could visit with each other while I sipped coffee. That's a wrap for this season of The Food Podcast. We'll be back in the fall with more stories about life and food. This series is edited by Abby Circatella. Our theme song, One More Night, is by Jen Grant. If you'd like to support the show, please rate and review The Food Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And consider signing up for my newsletter. It's called Food Stories. The link is in the show notes, or you can head to lindsaycameronwilson.substack.com. Thanks for listening. I'm Lindsay Cameron Wilson. <laughs>